Thanks for joining us, everybody. We are now live here from the KFBS Digital News Desk. Clayton Hester here, um, your friendly neighborhood digital news host here. And uh, we've got Jason Davis. He is with the Southeast Missouri State University. He's with the Department of Political Science, Philosophy, Religion, Associate Professor there. Jason, how are you doing today? Pretty good. How are you on this fine I'm winter's day? <laughs> doing fine. Doing fine. As long as I'm in out of the cold, that is the main thing. Got the, I've got my uh, HVAC to keep me warm. I guess is to amend the old the old song. But uh, <laughs> so so we are good. We are we are all uh, quite well uh, taken care of. It's one of those things where, you know, some some days the the air conditioner in the office is blowing too cold. But anything compared to the outside, you appreciate. You can feel the difference. You can feel it as a much better place to be than out there. But uh, all of that in mind, we have been looking then, I know that everyone has been uh, kind of uh, attuned to the information coming out last week, uh, situations with the Speaker of the House, situations with politicians taking office. What, are, what is the political science world taking note of? What are, you, what are you all watching right now? We've had a little bit of time since folks started settling in and with some difficulty. Uh, what, are, what are you all watching right now? So I think one of the things that was interesting from a political science standpoint was the speaker's race. Um, typically, when a new Congress is brought to D.C. and there's a change in party, um, it's typically going to be the case that there's a speaker designate, and it's pretty clear who the members are going to go for it. And so there's not a lot of discussion. Right. Um, so, for instance, when Newt Gingrich led the um, Republicans to control the House after the 94 elections, everyone knew that when they came to D.C. and took control of the House, everyone knew that Gingrich was going to be speaker. Well, what we saw this time was something a little bit different. Right. Um, we didn't see all the Republicans kind of fall in behind Kevin McCarthy right right at the start, right? We saw numerous ballots conducted to get to the point where McCarthy could get the votes needed to become speaker. There was a lot of negotiation, a lot of discussion that went on. Um, and so for the public, they saw what might be a little bit more difficult process, but at least from a political science standpoint, we saw a lot of negotiation um, people trying to represent their interests and what you would expect to see when there are some strong policy differences between the members, even within one party. For sure. Um, with all of that in mind, with all of that in, in focus, is, is this phenomena or the phenomenon, I suppose, of, of, well, one could call it hyperpartisanship. I don't know if that necessarily is is that maybe a, perhaps too loaded to to describe things accurately. What how would how would you describe kind of those different lines that are being drawn and kind of the unique place that they're playing in the development of this Congress and the development of the the, uh, the federal government here in in 2023. Yeah, I think the one thing you're starting to see is kind of a continuation of a trend that started many years ago. And that is on both sides of the aisle, both Republicans and Democrats, um, the representatives in the House 
are moving towards the extreme of their party. So there is no middle ground um, to really bring any kind of coalition together to cross the aisles. Now, that's kind of the context in which this is happening. Both the Democrats and the Republicans are moving to their respective ends of the political spectrum. Now, what you're seeing on the Republican side is that there are some very conservative members, um, some conservative members and slightly conservative members, and they're trying to work it all out. Now, the more conservative members like Gates and Boebert and um, some of those other folks had a trust issue with McCarthy going into the balloting for the speaker. They had felt that um, you know, McCarthy had not done as much for the conservative cause as he could have done in the years since he became the minority leader. And so they wanted more of a commitment to demonstrate that he was going to advance their particular interests as well. McCarthy, I think, was a little bit reluctant at first to do that um, because he saw that he saw some of those issues, I think, as maybe a little bit too polarizing for some voters. And so his initial um, approach, I think, was to kind of say, we'll consider it, but I'm not going to commit to it. Well, as the balloting went on, I think he realized, look, I do have to make more of a credible commitment to these folks. If he hadn't made a credible commitment to these folks, I think he would be in a much more difficult position than he is now. He would have had to try to find some other way to get the necessary votes to become speaker if he could have. Um, I think, you know, the way he went about it, offering some concessions to some people on the far right of the um, Republican Party in Congress was the way to go for him. It'll keep their party together for now. And I think if he shows some leadership and brings some of those people into the policy discussions, they will be more likely to trust him in the process and less likely to kind of be this focused on making their point later on. Well, so I think, you know, from the Republican side, it wasn't pretty, but I think at least for McCarthy and all those folks, there's more of a sense of commitment among the um, Republicans as a whole in the House. Now, there are going to be some people who didn't like this process at all, thought they should not negotiate at all, one being Dan Crenshaw. Um, he compared some of his fellow Republicans um, to people engaging in terrorist tactics and that they could not give in to these people. Well, ultimately, McCarthy did compromise. And what you see is that the folks who were very hardline and marginalizing the conservatives like um, Crenshaw are now finding themselves kind of on the outside looking in as committee assignments are being handed out. So I think one thing you're probably likely to see is that the folks who were willing to compromise with the conservative wing and who did compromise are probably going to be in a better position to lead committees and have more of a voice. The folks who are very hardline anti-conservative um, and attacking some of those more conservative members, I think are gonna have a much more difficult time um, establishing a leadership role within the new Congress. Do we know any of the material of what the, those sorts of negotiations, those sorts of deals would have been? And, or, or do we have any expectations about what those would have been? I know that you, we, there's been some conversation about um, what kind of the outcome of those sorts of things would be, what sort of uh, commitments those would be. And so we're thinking in terms of perhaps if there's a certain subject matter that comes up in Congress, if that's what it pertains to or, or anything along those lines. 
yeah, some of it was going to involve like having um, bills that are single issue, single issue bills rather than these omnibus bills that combine um, many different policies, right? So the one thing that some of the holdouts um, wanted was single issue bills so that Congress would vote on one particular issue up or down rather than that rather than packaging that particular bill with a number of others and maybe tying it to a budget to create some urgency for it to be passed through the house so a number of the things that these holdouts or these kind of anti-mccarthy forces were pushing for was focused on kind of running the house in a more straightforward and transparent manner um, now, they did ask for some things that I think ultimately are going to be difficult to accomplish. Um, at one point, they were talking about uh, promoting term limits. That's going to be difficult because at some point, there was a question about whether that was constitutional or not. Um, on the basis of if you impose term limits, you're not allowing people to vote for who they want. You're you know, limiting the choices before them. But that aside, the spirit of that is still to make things a little bit more transparent. And I think if McCarthy's committed to some of those things, you know, you're going to see most of those conservative holdouts happy. Some of these things are going to get um, voted down anyway, because some people are going to realize that, look, this is either unconstitutional or it's impractical, but at least they're still going to have an opportunity to have their voice heard. I think ultimately that's a good thing. Now, some of the other um, discussions involve the budget. And so that's where I think it becomes a little bit more tricky for Speaker McCarthy. You know, we are in a position right now where the traditional budgeting process hasn't been followed for a number of years. And some of these conservative holdouts like Gates and Boebert and some of the others, um, they wanted a return to a more traditional approach to budgeting, which is to say, okay, we're going to have a budget cycle. We're going to collect data we're going to look at the results of the spending based on the goals we had for these programs and then reassess. Well, what we're doing now is because the um, ideological division in Congress is we're seeing a lot of continuing resolutions that are passed with only hours to go before the government faces a serious disruption. The holdouts on the right wanted to end that situation where we're passing this budget um, through continuing resolution at the last minute because in their perspective, that um, prevents the House from you know, meeting its responsibility of creating a budget and conducting oversight. So I think you know, McCarthy has committed to a more transparent budget process, but the problem is they're only one chamber of Congress. The Senate has really not shown any inclination to embrace that same perspective. So even if the House does follow that commitment that McCarthy has made, it's still going to be difficult for them to um, obligate the Senate to follow the same sort of practice. And so they may end up finding themselves in the House under more pressure because they're at odds with the Senate and also with what the executive wants to do as well. All right. And so I think as we as we look ahead, you know, of course, you mentioned that there is going to be a lot of pressure, strain, tension as far as different folks accomplishing their different goals. With the fractures in in the Republican Party and already a slim 
majority with the House, and of course, Democratic control in the Senate. You know, what, what kind of expectations are we looking at in terms of deadlock, in terms of, you know, that the, the opportunities for cohesion and the like? Um, I think it's going to be difficult for a lot of high profile legislation to make its way out of Congress and to the president's desk. Because the Senate is um, the Senate's in a completely different ideological place than the House, right? Not only mm -hmm. do the Democrats control the Senate, it's also the case that many of the Republicans in the Senate are more centrist. They're still conservative, but they're not as conservative as some of the House members, right? So I think what you're going to see in the Senate is more of a willingness for the right and the left to kind of craft some compromises on things that both parties can generally agree on. The difficulty is going to be that not all of those things are going to be embraced by many in the House. Um, so I think at least for McCarthy, if he is going to try to promote a more Republican agenda um, from the speakership, it's going to be difficult because that may not be fully embraced by the powers that be in the Senate. Um, you know, Minority Leader McConnell is probably not going to be on board with a lot of what McCarthy is pushing. And so that creates some cognitive dissonance um, among the Republicans serving in both chambers of the Senate. The other problem that's going to come about is that, you know, the president has certain priorities that he wants to advance. He has to maintain good relations with Congress. Well, those relationships are going to be hard to establish with a lot or with a high percentage of the Republican um, caucus in the House. A lot of these folks have come in to their offices recently. Um, maybe they're freshmen this term. Maybe this is their second term. But a lot of these folks are going to be kind of driven by a desire to resist some of what President Biden is promoting. That's going to complicate things even more. So my best guess is that we're not going to get a lot of high-profile um, legislation out of Congress because there's just too much separation and too many coalitions and moving parts. Now, in the things they can agree on, sure, there'll be some progress. But on some of the other things, my guess is that's going to be difficult to accomplish. All right. We also, of course, are looking and we, we've seen several changes here in Missouri. And well, several months back when we were speaking there at the election time, if we were looking as well at some of those those measures that are changing here in Missouri, you know, we're following, of course, next week, Parson will be giving the state of the state address with, with the number of changes that have happened, whether it's marijuana legalization or other measures. But what kind of statewide issues would we be looking at as we enter 2023? I think one of the things that um, our our government, the Missouri state government, is going to have to address is kind of the economy and economic competitiveness, right? Um, Missouri did comparatively well during COVID. Um, when you look at other similarly situated states, you know, because the lockdown wasn't as rigorous, um, people were still working, and Missouri was able to get through that better than some of its competitors. Well, now we're entering um, an era when it looks like the economy is going to face 
other disruptions due to economic policy choices made at the national level. And so I think one thing that's going to emerge is that the governor and the legislature are going to have to work together to kind of ensure or safeguard the economic future of Missourians. And that's going to involve looking at a lot of alternatives, right? Whether that is going to um, involve, you know, looking at universities and how to make universities more of a um, working partner with the state and local governments, or whether that's looking at promoting certain industries in various areas of the state. I think that's one thing they're going to be focused on. Now, when you talk about, you know, the marijuana um, initiative that was passed, the legislature is going to have to look at how to actually bring that about. Um, they're going to look at some of the technicalities that they will abide by in order to comply with what the people wanted. So there's going to be some discussions over how that's actually enacted and implemented, and there's likely going to be some contentious discussions surrounding that as well. So I think, you know, you're going to see a lot of serious debate and discussion coming out of Jefferson City. Um, I think there's going to be a recognition that, look, we have to be a little bit more proactive in securing our future, while also at the same time trying to deal with the issues that the public put before the legislature through their ballot that they cast on Election Day. All right. I believe that's an overview, you know, federal to state. Is there anything else just to to get that, get the, the broadest brushes, I suppose, of, of, of what we are looking at in, in terms of this, this coming year, in terms of changes, in terms of um, how things are measuring up with precedents. What are we looking at now? Um, I think one of the things you're going to see is that in the state legislature, there's going to be some more conservative members who've been elected throughout the state. And so at least talking to some folks who are involved in like the nonprofit community throughout the state, and some other sectors of the um, economy, there is a little bit of concern that some of these more conservative members might not fully embrace the state's role in securing the future for, you know, Missourians. So I think there's a little bit of concern that maybe these folks are a little bit too ideological, and that might complicate things. Now, what you see coming out of the governor's office is that, you know, the governor is still conservative, but he's also demonstrating um, a pragmatic streak in terms of getting results for the public. So I think there's a possibility of more ideologically driven policies coming out of the legislature. And if that does occur, that could complicate the relationship between Governor Parsons and the legislature and then slow everything down. Um, you know, other issues that we're gonna have to look at is, okay, what are we going to do as a state to promote development and infrastructure so that we can help some of the rural areas advance, but also secure and revitalize some of the urban areas in the state too. There's a recognition that um, we've underinvested in infrastructure for a number of years. Some of the economic development opportunities that are out there are going to require infrastructure. If the governor has a more pragmatic view on that, he's gonna have to work to convince those more conservative folks in the legislature that this is an investment they should make. So, you know, I don't think he has an easy job, but I think it's one that he can do. It's just going to take some work and some convincing, and that's what you would hope the executive, whether it be the governor or the president, is able to do.
Certainly, certainly. Jason, I want to pre I want to thank you and uh, just say appreciate your time. Appreciate you making making the time and being here and sharing your expertise with us here uh, on or from the uh, digital news desk here at KFES. No, no, anytime. I'm just happy to help and share my perspective. Absolutely, absolutely. He's Jason Sides. He is with the Southeast Missouri State University's Department of Political Science, Philosophy, and Religion. He's associate professor there. And uh, we want to thank you all for tuning in as well. We appreciate the time you spend with us. Appreciate the time tuning in and uh, and joining in this conversation. As always, it is a, it's a pleasure to have you all here. And tune in and stay stay tuned in. We'll have more local news headlines here on the KFES Digital Channel and right around the corner, more from our local programs uh, streamed over the air and here as well on the Digital Channel. Thanks again, everybody.